0: Of the Red Church Bibles. It's so page 605, Psalm 103, starting at verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul.
1: An excellent beginning of year question for those of us who are Christian believers. Does the praise of God flow readily from our lips? Does the praise of God flow readily from our lips? I have the privilege of meeting up regularly with a friend in Brussels who serves as a pastor there and the praise of God flows readily from his lips. It's one of the striking features of this man, this great uh, friend and, and pastor there. And there's nothing artificial about it. You know that it can be a bit artificial, but it isn't with him. His praising of God stems from the fact that he's constantly conscious of the gospel, constantly conscious of the, the the privileges that flow from the gospel. I think that should be true for all of us who are believers. Psalm 103 of David, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Praising God arises from actively recalling God's gospel benefits. And in the remainder of the psalm, we see what those benefits are. So let's pray that they will drive us to praise God. Let's pray. A verse from Psalm 119. Let my soul live that it may praise you. And let your ordinances help me. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your word that is all sufficient for our appreciation of your gospel benefits. Grant that we would be struck afresh by those benefits now. Grant that that would lead us to praise you from the bottom of our hearts for your amazing grace towards us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Throw a stone in a pond and you'll see circles in the water that widen progressively. Here in Psalm 103, David considers God's benefits from his own perspective as a believer, then more broadly from the perspective of God's people as a whole, and then at the end from the perspective of the entire creation. And although David is writing a thousand years before Christ, this psalm doesn't need much transposing with a few adjustments to take account of where we stand as God's people this side of the cross. We can so readily appropriate this great psalm. So, first... God's benefits from the Christian's perspective. Let's reread verses 3 to 5. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed Like the eagles. It's no accident that the forgiveness of sins heads up the list of benefits. You can have everything, but if you don't have that, ultimately you have nothing. So, for those who have never received the forgiveness of their sins, the moment to sort that out is right now. The Bible is very clear that a day of judgment is coming. And if we try to front up to God on that day, on the basis of our performance in this life, we will be condemned to everlasting torment. Because the God who made this universe, the God to whom we are all accountable, is absolutely pure and demands absolute perfection. The trouble is that we don't manage to live up even to our own standards, let alone to God's standards. Don't put it off. Turn to God in humble submission. Resolve to turn away from whatever in your life is displeasing to God and to live for him. And then tell others you've done it. They can then pray for you, support you, encourage you. And you can then know, as so many others here have discovered, that your rebellion against God is dealt with. That... There will be no punishment awaiting you at the judgment. Because that punishment has fallen on God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, Jesus Christ served as your substitute, bearing all the anger that your sins arouse in God. And because Jesus Christ is God, is perfect, he was qualified to take that penalty. Not only that, but a couple of days after his death, Jesus Christ rose to new life and opened up that same way of rising from the dead for those who trust in him. And so in the words of verse 4, your life is redeemed from the pit. Death defeated, the prospect of hell removed, replaced by the joy of everlasting life in the presence of the great God who satisfies the longings of our souls, verse 5. And starting right now, Horatio Spafford had a successful law practice in Chicago in the mid-19th century. He and his wife, Anna, lost a son through scarlet fever then lost most of their assets in the Great Chicago Fire. Then lost their four remaining children in a shipwreck. But, and this is a very big but, Horatio Spafford wasn't crushed. Because he knew that his major and ultimate problem had been dealt with, and that was his rebellion against God. Many of you will know his hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and we'll be singing it at the end. Here's an excerpt My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Everything hangs on the forgiveness of sins. Listen to John Calvin speaking on this psalm. It is not without cause that David begins with God's pardoning mercy For reconciliation with him is the fountain from which all other blessings flow. Yes, blessings, including physical healing, verse 3. For us, it's different from in David's day in as much as healing isn't promised for our era, except under certain specific circumstances. But we Christian believers can be encouraged by the prospect of having perfect resurrection bodies in the perfect new creation that's on its way for those here who endure physical pain from day to day i have prayed that this verse would bring much comfort a little later in the psalm we read god remembers that we are dust so fragile but perfect physical health is in prospect for those whose sins are forgiven And let me draw your attention to two further benefits that we find in verse 4, love and compassion. The love in question is the love of covenant commitment, a love that persists. It's often spoken of as steadfast love. One of my missions in life is to try to persuade people from the Bible that the way you live the Christian life from day to day is the same as the way you begin the Christian life. We begin the Christian life by receiving the forgiveness of our sins and knowing that God smiles on us because we are in Christ, we are joined to Christ Our Heavenly Father sees us as perfect in him. All is of grace. That's the start of the Christian life. We put our trust in Jesus Christ and we know the joy of being forgiven. But how do you go on from there? Countless Christians think that if we want to continue to enjoy God's favor, we need to be able to point to our worthy actions to prove that we're serious about obeying God. And it is true that the gospel of grace motivates us to live for God's glory. But we don't keep ourselves in a right relationship with God on the basis of our own performance. God keeps us as his children today and continues to forgive our sins today on exactly the same basis as on day one. 100% thanks to Christ's perfect life And death in our place. God's love towards us is a love of constancy. Of commitment. It's steadfast. Based on a covenant that is guaranteed by the blood of his own son. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Our heavenly father never approves of sin. And requires that we repent of our sins, but he never lets go of us. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, those sins you committed this week and that have weighed on your conscience are dealt with. And thanks to the blood shed on the cross, the attitude that your Heavenly Father has towards you, verse 4, is one of compassion, Here's how one writer speaks of that compassion. Your gentlest treatment of yourself is less gentle than the way your Heavenly Father handles you. His tenderness towards you outstrips what you are even capable of towards yourself. Now imagine you could turn God's loving commitment and his compassion into an object. What would it be? Verse 4 it would be a crown, and that crown would be on our heads. You may feel very small and insignificant in this daunting 2024 world, but in the spiritual realm, in terms of ultimately what will be played out for all eternity and long after this world has gone, you who are in Christ enjoy the status of being crowned. And so in the words of another hymn, and this one we have already sung this morning, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song will ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. The Christian message is so glorious, end of verse 5, it's invigorating, it's rejuvenating, it gives us a new lease of life. But the enemy would like us not to think about it too much. This psalm helps us to see that we must be disciplined in actively recalling God's gospel benefits. So... What's going into your diary during 2024 that will provide for your active recalling of the forgiveness, the love, the compassion of our great God? Tim Keller urges us to pray along these lines in the light of the the first five verses of this psalm. Listen to this. It's striking. Lord... I confess how much of my fear, anger, anxiety and discouragement is wholly due to my forgetting your benefits, forgetting all you've given me and promised me in Christ. My mind knows but my heart forgets I'm forgiven. Delighted in, guaranteed a crown, a feast. Forgive me and help me to speak to my soul until strength is renewed. Now you would have received those um, um, slips of paper speaking about uh, Martin Olwyn And as you pray for him, as you pray for Ed, as you pray for Connor, Leanne, the elders, I wonder how conscious you are of the dual focus of their ministry here at Grosvenor. They're concerned for the health of every member of the flock and they're concerned for the health of the flock as a whole. In our psalm, David now widens the circle to consider God's Benefits from the perspective of the people of God as a whole. Transposed for us, that means all Christian believers from all time and place, of which Grosvenor is a a miniature outcropping or or church. So we've seen God's benefits from the Christian's perspective. What are the benefits from the church's perspective now? Let's listen as we uh, reread. This part of the psalm from verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Did you notice in... That reading, what benefits flow to God's people collectively? Why? They're the same as the ones that flow to God's people individually the forgiveness of sins, God's loving commitment, His compassion towards us. That's what defines Grosvenor as God's church. You see, David hasn't moved on to start talking about something else. There are all kinds of privileges associated with church life here, including the music, the various groups and activities. But the beating heart of church life is the forgiveness of sins, God's loving commitment, his compassion towards you. That's what enables you to function as a A diverse community with all these nationalities and languages and backgrounds. A united community in which you who have been forgiven by God, forgive others. You who enjoy God's loving covenant commitment, go on loving others. You who enjoy God's compassion, show compassion to others. Now what lies in the background of these verses is the... Exodus and aftermath. The oppressed in verse 6 are God's people in Egypt, the the Israelites. Moses, verse 7, was the instrument in God's hands used to deliver the people from that oppression. You'll recall the plagues on Egypt, the Passover the crossing of the Red Sea. All of that happened because God had made promises to Abraham to make his people as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, to grant them a privileged relationship with him as their father. As part of the expression of that relationship, his people need to obey him by keeping the Ten Commandments and a series of other laws. Now, here's the key. What happens when the Israelites don't obey, when they don't live up to their calling? Well, take the golden calf incident. The People start worshipping this golden object they've made, Rather than worshiping God, God is rightly angry. 3,000 people are put to death. But God doesn't go back on his promises. Indeed, Moses pleads with God on the basis of the promises to Abraham. And it turns out that those promises remain intact. How is that possible? Because God's character is that of verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving covenant commitment. Now those words are how God describes himself just after the golden calf episode. But there are questions. How are those promises to Abraham to reach fulfillment if the people need to obey him? The answer is that there needs to be a solution to the sin problem. Episodes such as The Golden Calf get repeated in Israel's history. and God's patience ends up running out and the people get banished. But God still doesn't go back on his Promises, And in fact, he even sets up a a new covenant, a covenant that deals with the sin problem, a covenant that provides for the ultimate realization of the promises to Abraham, a covenant with whom? Well, you will have heard an expression that comes three times in this section of our psalm, an expression that describes the people of God in the ultimate sense. It included some people back in Moses' day who would end up being beneficiaries of this new covenant, even if the new covenant would be set up later. This expression is a way of speaking of God's true people today. God's people, beneficiaries of the new covenant in the blood of Christ, are made up of, I quote, this expression, those who fear him this expression that comes in verse 11 in verse 13 in verse 17 what does it mean to fear god it means to bow down to his majesty in humble submission it means to tremble at his word It means to be scared of displeasing him. It means to recognize the truth of verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. There is still the need to obey God. Verse 18 talks about keeping his covenant and remembering to obey God's precepts. And that's true for us too. Except that for us, amazingly, that keeping of God's commandments has been done for us by Christ. And so when we keep God's commandments, we do so because we're right with God, not in order to become right with God. And when we don't, that does not compromise our status as God's people, assuming that we are authentically those who fear God. And so we can look back on this section of the psalm with the cross of Christ in our minds, and conscious of the mind-blowing reality that these words apply to us who are in Christ in the deepest, the fullest, the most absolute sense. Can we revel in some of these words, please? Can we do it now? Close your eyes if that will help. I'm just going to reread some of these amazing truths. He does not treat us as our sins deserve Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great. Is his love for those who fear him. From everlasting to everlasting. The Lord's love is with those who fear him. That means it's infinite. As far as the east is from the west so far, has he removed our transgressions from us? That means our transgressions are fully and definitively removed. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So as you evaluate church life at the start of 2024, here's the kind of thinking that is off target. This is Grosvenor. The history is well known. It goes back to Harcourt Street days. The reputation speaks for itself. Church plants have been spun off from Grosvenor. There are a lot of respectable Christians here. Evangelical dynasties of a certain renown. There's an impressive staff team. God must be pretty pleased with Grosvenor. Now, here's the right way to think. There are numbers of people here who realize that in and of themselves they are anything but respectable. But they also know the wonder of God's ongoing, loving, covenant commitment that is as high as the heavens are above the earth, people who know that their sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. What a privilege you have week after week to listen to Christ-centered sermons from this pulpit and so To be able to meditate collectively on the gospel benefits that are front and center in this psalm and in scripture as a whole. They lead you to marvel and so to praise God. And if you're starting to say to yourself, yes, God's people praising him for his forgiveness, his love, his compassion. it's It's a glorious foretaste of the world to come and you'd be absolutely right except that there's a a further, even wider circle that we need to reckon with. And as I read the closing verses of the psalm, would you please ask yourself what they're doing here? From verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Well, we saw in the first section that David was speaking of God's benefits, his Forgiveness, loving commitment, compassion towards the individual believer. We saw in the second section that David was speaking of God's benefits. his forgiveness, loving commitment, compassion towards those who fear him, God's people as a whole. And now in the final section, has David moved off topic onto something else? Well, he's certainly calling on creation to recognize that God is king, but why? Well, precisely, it seems to me, because he hasn't moved off topic. See The problem we have as Christians is that our message is so glorious that it's hard to communicate. Here's the reality of this last section, understood in the context of the psalm. The forgiveness of sins is so marvelous as to have repercussions for the entire cosmos. Already in the second section, David was turning to the, to the grand scale of the universe. He tried to speak about uh, the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> as high as the heavens are above the earth, so is his love for, for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. But here he goes further. Let's try and take this in. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is the key moment in human history. It has implications for the angels, verse 20, the the stars, verse 21, and verse 22, everything that has breath, and even everything that doesn't. The the last book of the Bible fills this out a little for us. I'll just read from Revelation 5, a few verses. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. I don't claim to be able to get my head around all of this. But history is moving towards the point at which birds, fish, trees will recognize the majesty of God and will praise him for his breathtaking forgiveness, love, compassion towards us who fear him. And then... David closes the psalm by exhorting himself again. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Difficult to do otherwise than exhort oneself again. You may know that John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress is one of the best-selling books of all time. In fact, until the mid-20th century, it was second only to the Bible in terms of uh, numbers of, of, of copies sold. What you may not know, and I certainly didn't until a few months ago, is that there's another book written about the same time, that was in the 17th century, and that was said to have been as popular in its day as The Pilgrim's Progress. The book is called Looking Unto Jesus, and the author is Isaac Ambrose, a Puritan theologian known for his gentle nature and earnest piety. And like Bunyan, someone who suffered much for holding to the truth of scripture. Listen to him reveling in the truths we've seen this morning. Where is my heart with my treasure, I cannot comprehend your love and favor, dear Lord. What kind of mercy is this? What kind of promises? My soul rejoices in you, my God, and my spirit will bless your name forever and ever. Amen. And so will we be proactive in recalling God's benefits? The pastor friend I spoke about at the start is a model in this regard. I look forward to my meetings with him. But even he knows that he must fight to keep his eyes firmly fixed on the cross. I recall another friend of mine also in ministry sharing with me what his wife said to him when she came back from a conference for pastors' wives. Now I'm talking here about another very godly couple. But I have permission to relay this and it's helpful for all of us. She came back home after the conference and my pastor friend, her husband, asked her how it had gone. Her answer. There's so much going on in our busy life of ministry that I'd forgotten how much God loves me. And I can tell you that if that was true for her, it can be true for all of us. And so I say to all of us, what we need for 2024, we need to keep coming back to the cross. Individually, collectively, and one day in unison with even every nook and cranny of this universe. Praise the Lord, O my soul.